Right. And so the the song to me had a message that you can relate to, uh, tangible something that's tangible, and then related to you strengthening your faith. Mm-hmm. So to me, the song will have that powerful message. Yeah. Somebody's going. Uh, there's a young lady who's in the studio, who's uh, who asked my band to open up for her CD release. And her whole thing was like, we're in the studio. I got this producer who he produced uh, Tamla Man. And he doing, and then, ooh, listen to what he playing right here. They love to name drop. And that oh, just drives me up a wall. They sent me the video, Pastor Smith, and I'm like, yes, that sound, he's, he's playing some amazing licks. Mm-hmm. But what does that have to do yeah. with the real purpose of you supposed to be making this music? Music yeah. is powerful. Yeah. Music is powerful, and most people even give it credit to. Yeah. You, we can go throughout, back throughout history, and you, you will know that this is what it does. So... You're more concerned with being able to put this guy's name on here as a producer, being able to say you had this guy to play. Yeah. And it's it's all about, and then when we go press, you know, now you, you, you're only thinking about selling CDs yeah. or selling streams rather. Yeah. That's all it was about. So I didn't, I couldn't be a part of it. You know, I, 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 I will come in my band. We'll play, we'll play the opening, but I, I can't get out and pr- promote this with a good conscience. Sure. You know, uh, sure. and as far as saying, hey, everybody, you better run and go pick it up. Better run and go pick it up. You know, part of my, I'm, part of my job, how I feed my family, is I'm, through my music. Right. That's one of the main ways I feed my family. Right. And, so, and 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 oftentimes I'm I'm a hired musician. You know, um, but in the big scheme of things, I I can't promote something that I'm I'm not uh, I'm not feeling it like that. You know, especially when I know the root behind it. You want to support people, but uh, what am I what am I supporting? Sure, sure. You're going to receive an award very shortly from the Lynx. Talk about that for a second. That's that's just super incredible to me. Uh, quick story: When I was in high school, my parents they didn't know how serious I was in music. Mm-hmm. Never came to a concert, not because they didn't want to. They just always worked two and three jobs. But all they knew was that boy was in that band. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I try to practice at home, the tube, but my mom made me go to the alley in Dallas. We have alleys. She tells that story. Too much noise. Too much noise. Hey. You had to stop, but to the alley with it. And I'd go in the alley and practice the tuba. But uh, finally, at the end of the, my senior year, there was a band banquet. And um, I told them, you know, the parents were coming to this thing. Mm-hmm. And they made arrangements to come to the band banquet. And I received the, the John Philip Sousa Award and maybe four or five other trophies of, you know, bestest and section leader and all those things that come with it. And my parents were looking like, is this the right person? Is yeah. You, you really, you, y'all giving these awards to the right person? They didn't know uh, how talented how, how, you how, were. How talented okay, you were. Okay, they didn't know the level of my talents. But I remember that feeling of, I want to always be able to get awards. You know, mm-hmm. that feeling of accomplishment in, from high school. So I used to always set out on things to do. Um, it was, it was the cause of that, but it's for the wrong reasons. A lot of times, I wanted to get the award, mm-hmm. and so I, I strive my best and try to outdo everybody so I can get the award. When it came uh, also to high school, I tried everything I could to letter. You know, I played football, but I was JV and second string my whole life. Okay. <laughs> Never started. So At least you made uh, the team. Yeah, made the team, right? <laughs> but I tried everything: bowling team, chess team, and eventually got a, a letterman's jacket in music. Okay. You know, but now and, and throughout, you know, uh, throughout my career. Uh, I receive certain awards and people recognize me for, uh, you know, what I've been doing. But this particular award uh, means a lot because it says role model. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's from uh, an organization that has been around a very long time. And it's uh, the people who make up this organization um, 
for for society purposes are the movers and shakers mm-hmm. uh, supposedly, and for them to select you mm-hmm. uh, says that you are pre- you're pretty good at what it is you're trying to do, and you're you are a role model in this community, mm-hmm. and that for me means the world. Uh, I have my mom coming from Dallas. I'm going to have all my kids there because I want them to see, you know, my dad is trying to be relevant, trying to be positive, and he is actually doing something positive in the community and going to be doing it, you know, until I no longer have breath because I've learned people say, oh, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose in life? And here's what I've come up with. And it's a quote that I saw, but here's I agree with it. A lot of times the meaning of it is to... Uh, or the purpose is to find your gift and the meaning is to give it away. Or maybe I have it that mixed up, whatever. But the whole thing is to, once you find what the gift that God has given you, Mm -hmm. then you stay in close prayer with him and let him use that gift to help others Mm -hmm. or to benefit others. You didn't get the gift for you to keep at home and keep in your pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you're supposed to find out how can you use it that can help others. If he blessed you with it, how can you use it to move forward and, and let it be of benefit or help to somebody else? Sure. So, you know, I don't go sit at home and uh, and play my instruments and behind closed doors and come out here and, you know, um, anytime I go into school and a kid comes up to me or anytime I'm teaching music and they get it and I, they got it and, and, we're, and it's not always meant for them to go and be a music teacher or to go and be a performing artist. Mm-hmm. It's about something that gives them something else other than what they're used to. Uh, for example, for my son, he was bullied in elementary school, and we were trying to get him into music and all this kind of stuff, and it was just, you know, the band director put him out because he said he was using the, the bow like a sword. One strike and put him out. Mm-hmm. But he had become labeled, um, and we found out later. Well, when he got to middle school and actually became a part of a band, it, 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 I had blocked it out of my mind, I guess, it made me realize I was bullied in high school. I'm, I can tell you, I mean, not, not just high school, all my school time. I've been called every black joke that you can probably ever ever think of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I was bullied to the, to the point of, in high school, I had to learn to turn it around and make it a laughter thing, you know? Even, even today, somebody might, instead of saying Black Friday, they say Mike Friday, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> all those things that I did that, that I had to learn to, by being in a band, learn to get that, thick skin and have people that I can relate to that were on the same page with me and had a group of people I could belong to because everyone is not going to be a star athlete. Mm -hmm. Everyone is not going to be a scholar. Mm -hmm. And so when my son got into that band in middle school and he had some people uh, to to relate to and then he moved on over and he got into high school and gained another group of friends and then now here's friends of the band and there's band boosters and there's dancers mm-hmm. and there's the cheer groups and all that kind of stuff. And now he's part of a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And he and he felt a, a, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And it helped him to not want to get in trouble or anything. You know, and if you got in trouble, if your grades weren't right, you couldn't be in the band. Right. So a lot of those things kept him kept him focused. And then now it ultimately led to him going to Southern University. Right. You know, and then being in those communities, now your community is wider and meeting people from all over. And then it gained him the attention to get the internship that he did in California, which opened up some other doors. I traced that all the way back to getting in that band in middle school. Because mm-hmm. we started in music early, but you were a, a isolated musician, you know. Uh, you didn't really have the friends, the friends in music. The band director and the music teacher made it so uncomfortable you wanted to quit, mm-hmm. you know. But we weren't able to encourage him to stick with it, stick with it. And I'm very proud of where he is today because sticking with it. So now I go back to 
kids who now who go and hear me for the first time when I go into these elementary schools right. and I see the looks on their faces and I'm and I'm going okay you're going to hear something else other than drop it like it's hot Mm-hmm. And everything, if I can help it. Mm-hmm. And that way, when you hear that, you might hear it, you might be subjected to it and can't do anything about it. But you're going to also have that curiosity of what's that other kind of music? Yeah. Or if I hear it, or if I get a chance to it. And the reason I give the keyboards away to the schools, I want the kids to, when they pass by a piano, touch the keys. Let's hear these sounds, or whatever. Because sure. it's going to spark a whole nother curiosity. Sure. And something about harmonies and your br- vibrations and your brain functions open up a whole nother part of learning and curiosity mm-hmm. where it, it just makes you want to, okay, now you're able to have calmness, you know, now you open up the areas of cognitive thinking and motor skills, <coughs> being able to, you know, get into music and think about, uh, doing puzzles and mazes. You do, you know, most musicians who go into the military, you know what they're in, not just being in military band, you know what job they give them or what job they test high on code breaking, breaking codes. Because uh, it's math. Because it's math and it's dealing with these different levels of uh, frequencies mm-hmm. and sometimes all kinds of stuff. Most musicians who get into the military and they do the general test to see where you're going to go has something to do with, with uh, code and code breaking and sitting down and listening to frequencies, those type of jobs. Interesting. And you said something that uh, pricked my, my, my ear uh, and, and then we're going to close up. Um, you talked about people joking, making you the brunt of their jokes based upon your skin color. I'm assuming that these are African-American people who are making these jokes. It, it was always African-American people, but as um, I got into adulthood, uh, when I started working construction, mm-hmm. then you, and here in Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 90s, like 90, mm-hmm. it was uh, white people that were on a construction site. Um, my first construction job was uh, for a company. We were building roads. Mm-hmm. So I was a laborer. Mm-hmm. That means I walked with a bucket picking up roots out the ground after the plow would go. Right. Uh, but I had already messed up in school and had already had a child and I needed to put food on the table. Sure. And these guys who were uh, operators, as they called them, who used to set up here on the backhoes and on the tractors, uh, it was only me and another guy with only two black guys and then there was about five or six other uh, white guys mm-hmm. and they called you these names and they told you these racial jokes and your foreman was white and uh, back then you know that was not a whole culture of uh, whistleblower and going up to the next level to talk about racism right. but, I mean it exists but it's almost like it was I, this is sad to say but it's almost like it was acceptable yeah, yeah. back then the, the, the part that I wanted to focus in on because I <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this, but but I halfway expect that from white folk. Mm-hmm. But but for African Americans to do that to other African Americans, we're sitting across the table from from each other. I, I don't think it's hard for anybody to watch to see that one of us is dark skin and one of us is light right. skin. And this has been a source of division and resentment uh, within our. Forget about outside our community. This has been within our community uh, for generations. And it struck me as you were talking that this is still taking place. And it's very hurtful. And and people don't realize how hurtful it is. Uh, And and it's self-destructive. 
you, you're talking about uh, listening to the wrong types of music and, and, and the damage that that does. That kind of joking, that, that kind of, of, of uh, poor humor uh, is also harmful. Oh, very. And, and, and it, it lends itself to other things. We, we talk about CP time, which mm-hmm. really doesn't exist. Ain't <laughs> right. such thing. But, but we have this whole uh, uh, section of our lives where we demean ourselves. And we just finished our fall revival, and, and Dr. O.K. Domain made, made mention of the fact that we don't need other folk to, to talk about us. We talk about ourselves. We, yep. we do the damage to ourselves. And, and so how, how do we overcome? What, what are your thoughts about how we overcome that? That's a, I've been a, uh, that's a great question. Really don't have that answer. But if I had to just off the top of my head think about how can we overcome it? Uh, so much can be done through education. And when you say education, first thing people think about is, okay, going to school, going to school. But we all know that knowledge is power and that once you have the knowledge, that's something that no one could take away from you. Mm-hmm. So it's about, um, I think, it's about having that right role model to teach from the garden stage, teach at a very young age. This is inappropriate. Don't do this. You know, I think about uh, what my parents taught me growing up, the lessons that they did. Like you said, sitting around the dinner table, we had to do that. Mm-hmm. My parents made it, we had to sit at the table. I remember my mom telling me, if you go on a date with a girl, here's how you Cut, eat your food. Here's how you cut your steak. Yeah. And uh, then I got to college, and I, uh, I met a guy who didn't know how to change a flat tire. Dad, dad didn't show him, and what daddy did have didn't show him. You know what I'm saying? And you think about, you know, all these, like you say, uh, all those things. How do we, how do we fix that? And the only thing I can think of to say is education. We have to educate the adults that we can mm-hmm. to want to instill this in their kids. But more importantly, let's, re- let's recognize the garden that we have. These kids in elementary school are the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not just at school what they're teaching. Um, we already know they put more money into prisons than they do into any community programs. That, or in that the schools. Can, or in the schools. <laughs> yes. You know, pr- treatment makes way more. When we said this earlier in the podcast, treatment, make, that's the golden goose. Right. Goose that lays the golden egg. Treatment. Right. Prevention. That's gonna cut my my source of income off. Right. If I if I prevent this, you know, if I cure the cold, you're not gonna go buy any more uh, cold medicine, no more Alka-Seltzer plus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So now let me just help you treat it, so we can keep this cash flow going in. So we ha- what we have to do is find a way to really attack the problem at its earliest stages. Mm-hmm. These kids, okay, yeah, this parent, this young parent who's coming here in the church, and she has this young child, and what is a what is a good way to tell her? Which I don't have this answer, but just to pose a question. Uh, hey, you know, you might not want to let your child do such and such that we see you're doing or whatever. You know, or your child is kind of do, doing something a little inappropriate. You know, back when uh, when I was coming up, almost anybody could spank you, mm-hmm. whether your mom was there looking or not. That's absolutely you know, true. And that yeah. curved a lot. But, like, now, you know, you can't even tell a person to wipe the kid's nose or That's you might right. get cursed out or something. So right. it's like, how do, how do you do that? How do you curve it? Don't have the answer but what i do know is my platform the platform that i feel comfortable with, which is music i'm going to hit these areas mm-hmm. elementary because if in a song that they learn or for the song because we do I, when i go to elementary schools we do storytelling i help them uh 
those kids who can't play an instrument, okay, well, you can sing, you can tell a story. Mm-hmm. Okay, guess what? There's a music called blues. Let's, let's uh, tell me something that makes you sad. And they'll say, oh, when it rains, then we'll say something about raining and can't go outside. So now we've opened up uh, them to another form of literacy mm-hmm. here, and now you're storytelling, and now you're being expressive. Mm-hmm. So now I use those avenues to try to instill something else in these kids. Mm-hmm. We might talk about manners. We, we talk about how it's inappropriate for you to bully somebody and talk mm-hmm. about somebody. Mm-hmm. And so now these things, when we do follow-ups, you know, hopefully they'll stick and then they'll go on to the... Because what happens when you relate any idea to music, it sticks. That's why those powers that be take uh, the top-of-the-line music writers and producers, and they produce this beat that you can't... Once you hear it, you can't help but start moving. You know, you just kind of want to move. Now it's Now you're feeling good. The dopamine is being released. And now I say... I don't like your color. I'm going to stab you. And I repeat it over and over. They call it the hook. Uh, there's a song. Uh, I'm not going to say the song. I don't know we're about to close. I save these lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's, but the guy said, oh, um, there's, a, there's a famous DJ out who, who works with a lot of artists, also a famous artist. Uh, it's no secret. The, it's a Jay-Z song, and Beyonce is on the song, and DJ Khaled. All these are top-notch, top-of-the-line musicians. Mm-hmm. There's a song. There's a, a hook. In a song that they all do together, the hook says, the popo behind me can't stop me now. Popo behind me ain't going to stop. Got the top down, popo behind me ain't going to stop. So essentially, to these artists who I, who, I, who I look up to who are making all this money that I love to make one day, who for the little girls who want to look like Beyonce, mm-hmm. you know, guys who want to have the money as Jay-Z, in this song that you're putting out, you're saying, materially, I'm driving in this car that, I'm rocking with the top down, so that's how I'm rolling. Now, on top of that, I'm, I'm getting you to have a materialistic mind, like everything is about material. Mm-hmm. Then I'm saying, the police behind me, not going to stop. And what is one of the main problems we're having in this community with police and black people today? Yeah. Black, young black men getting shot about police because of a misunderstanding or are you not complying. Right. And here it is, this song telling me, I'm not going to stop. Not going to stop. Yeah. And it's in, it's in the hook, which means it's repeated in between every verse. He, mm-hmm. They say it about five, six times, then somebody says a verse, mm-hmm. then it comes back again, got the top down, popo behind me, not going to stop. Mm-hmm. So now, if I'm out here and these other songs have taught me to be smoking marijuana or popping pills or I'm drinking, now that's already in my system physically. Mm-hmm. That's in my system. So now I'm not in my right mind already. And now I'm driving and these people are behind me, you know, you take that message in that music and you take these mind-altering drugs and you put them together and what do you have? Somebody that's about to get shot or that's about to go to jail. Yeah. That's what's about to happen. You know, you look at this guy that just killed this basketball player, this LSU basketball player. Mm-hmm. Two families ruined, two lives essentially gone. Yes. I don't know that young man, but I can almost promise you some kind of way down the line what he did came from rap music. He was getting the when you you look at it, he was getting the best of being they were getting the best of him in the fight, and he pulls this thing you know, and all these songs that talking about bust a cap in your head, bust a cap in your head, you know, kill shot and all this kind of stuff, which specifically talks about when I shoot you, I'm shooting you in the head. Shoot this is this is shoot to kill. This is in songs. And what did this boy do when he pulled this gun out? Did he shoot that man in the leg or the foot or the arm or even the chest? No, right to that guy's head. Yeah. And I can tell you it's a reaction that comes from something that's been instilled and repeated over and over. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. I was teaching middle school uh, right here at a private school in Baton Rouge, 
and this little frail little kid on accident stepped on the shoes of one of the kind of other bigger African-American kids. Totally a, mi a mismatch. This kid was probably almost six feet and an uh, extrovert or whatever. And here's this other little guy just trying to get his books together and hurry on to his next class. Barely stepped on this man's, sh this young man's shoe and maybe scuffed it or whatever. And I think they were Jordans or whatever. Do you know this boy started to wail on this little kid? Like beat him up. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, I'm, I wasn't far from him, but by the time I got to be able to break him up, he'd easily gotten in three or five licks, punching his boy in the face because of what? Better not step on my shoes. Better not step on my shoes. And the song was out at that time. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in my closing, this is far overdue. Music, the, the real gateway drug yeah. that, that directs us to the violence, the sex, the alcohol, the pills, all of that stuff, and that alters our mind that when we, when it comes time to deal with trauma or split decision, whether it's, okay, I have this young lady here who I'm interested in, and I'm trying to convince her to uh, have intercourse with me, mm -hmm. and do I want to make her feel bad like they're saying in these songs? You know, when, and for young ladies as well who want acceptance, who want to be able to say they have a boyfriend, and want to say that they're beautiful or cute or whatever it is, who are out here dancing to try to get attention mm -hmm. from a young man. Mm -hmm. and, with that, and they're going off what these songs are saying. They're literally, this is what the song says. You know, and I hate to even say this on this broadcast because then I have daughters. When a young man says, ain't no fun if my friends don't have some, and a young lady sees that as acceptance, that is a tragedy. Yes, sir. That is a tragedy. I and agree. But guess what? It's out there. It's happening. Let me ask you this, uh, and, and, and this is my final thing. I, I never close without asking about the future. I'm a native of Baton Rouge, love Baton Rouge. I spent nine years in New Orleans, couldn't wait to get back home to Baton Rouge. Uh, you, you started by saying that you're from Dallas, from the Dallas area, yet you have chosen to make your home in Baton Rouge. You have children. I know two of your children very well. Do you want your children to choose Baton Rouge for their home? I know I know it's their choice, but I'm asking you as a father, do you want your children to choose Baton Rouge for their home or do you have concerns about them choosing Baton Rouge for their home? I would like for them to choose Baton Rouge as their home. I really would love for that to happen. However, I have concerns about them choosing Baton Rouge as their home um, because of the direction our city goes in. Um, but then when you think about it in the big picture, I don't like the direction our country, excuse me, that our country is going in. So who's to say that they, if they went somewhere else, it would be even better? Uh, the South, of course, has its history of uh, what we have to deal with as far as um, racism and what, what just pretty much happens. But to answer the question, I would love for them to make their home in Baton Rouge and be able to travel abroad mm -hmm. and, and bring back anything that can help their community. You know, be able to know that the world is bigger than their backyard. But Baton Rouge is a growing city. The reason I chose Baton Rouge outside of uh, Louisiana is just what it is. You get down here and you eat this food and you meet the Louisiana women and you just get get stuck before <laughs> you know it, you got a family. Yeah. But, um, but when I came here to Southern back in 85, uh, you know, of course, nothing was like it was, you know, 
there was Catfish Town that they had tried to do and I think failed. It did. Um, downtown was a like a desert, you know, no activity at all after two or three o'clock, I think, and right. there's barely any in the daytime. But it reminded me of what Dallas kind of looked looked like when I uh, lived there in the 70s. Uh, I was born in Dallas, and my parents were living in a project at the time. They were trying to make their way. So when time, time came to go for school, the schools were horrible. So they sent me to New Rose to live with our grandmother to go to school, and then we went back to Dallas for the summers up until the fourth grade. Hmm. Then they were like the Jeffersons. They moved into a neighborhood where we were the second black family on the street, you know, set two-story house, mm-hmm. you know, the nice cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and... Uh, and we were better school, had better schools. And so, um, but Dallas at that time in the 70s, a lot of racism, um, areas were underdeveloped, you know. And when I got to Baton Rouge, year, you know, decade later in 85 or so, Baton Rouge reminded me of Dallas from a child. Mm-hmm. So it, it had that part that grabbed onto me. And I watched Baton Rouge grow. And Baton Rouge has a lot more growing that it's doing. And for my kids and thinking about them as survival and what they're going to do in life, you can make your way in Baton Rouge and make a very good living. You know, there's a lot, uh, like they say, it's an, we all can eat. Mm-hmm. You can have you, you have a, a foothold here, and you know the people, and the people know you. So I think this is a great I love the city. I love Baton Rouge. I think it's a great place uh, for kids to grow up mm-hmm. if we are moving toward getting our ourselves together as a city. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate you coming. And uh, I, thank I, you. I have learned. I learned uh, that that music uh, is math, which I had not thought of. I learned that there are only two uh, tubas in an orchestra. <laughs> if you're most. lucky. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it has been quite an enlightening conversation. The, the, the whole part about how music plays a role in our thinking and in our behavior uh, and, and how we need to rethink that with regard to our children. Thank you so much, Mr. Uh, thank Paul. you for having me. Thank really you for viewing. It. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time.